So um, <clears throat> we're already in transition uh, uh, at the end of the retreat. Um, and just want to say, Catherine, I want you to say a few things uh, in closing. Um, because you've all done uh, silent retreats before, you're, you're familiar with a lot about transitioning out of silence, out of retreat, back to uh, you know, different environments, the busyness of, of um, your home and, and work life. Um, so a lot of that you know, I, I don't think we need to repeat it. And but just a few things, you know, this, this retreat, um, because we haven't put so much emphasis on uh, concentration and on um, silence, there's been these exercises and, and things, um, and more openness of the senses as opposed to this uh, focus on sense ret- restraint and also on the kind of smallness of attention. The, the, when, when the retreat's like that, a lot of concentration, a lot of smallness of attention, a lot of silence, a lot of solitude, the transition's harder in a lot of ways, particularly um, in, in the domain of, of sense contact and sense sort of impact. Um, that's less the case probably for this kind of retreat. Um, however, the heart and the soul uh, may be ver- very open, you know, and so... Um, there may be a sensitivity at the heart and soul level more than at the sensory level. And, you know, this, this, this needs care. We need to really respect and listen and feel into what, what does the heart, what does the soul need today, in the rest of the day, in, in the next few days, etc. Um, and, and in a way, it's just a continuation, you know, noticing the energy body, noticing the emotions, noticing when the heart is uh, maybe contracting or feels vulnerable, and then what does it need? What does it need in that moment? So staying, letting, as always, letting the energy body, letting the sensitivity to the emotions kind of guide, uh, letting the, the contact with that guide and, and give wisdom about what's appropriate here, what do I need right now? Uh, and one part of that is about sharing, sharing your, uh, your experiences or your enthusiasm um, from the retreat. Um, this, this anyway is something I think we need to be careful with after retreat. Um, but it might, it might be asking again for sensitivity. Um, you might get home and before you've even put your suitcase down, you've downloaded the whole thing to your uh, whoever you live with and uh, maybe maybe that's you know not right for you and maybe it's not right for them um, <laughs> so you know um, <laughs> it, 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 do, it really does need sensitivity and noticing really what, what do you need but, but really also what do they want what does this other person want um, Sometimes you know, think you get, we, we get a sense of like the, the preciousness or something in this week that's touched us that feels precious, and we want to share that. But it's also like to be careful, um, careful what you do with that in relationship. And it may, may make complete sense, but, but I'm close to this person, they're my friend, they're my spouse, they're my whatever it is, of course I tell them. Well, maybe, maybe not. Because if they're not interested, um, or if they're even disrespectful, uh, that really has an impact. 
And, and you can sense this um, in, in the contact. You start to say something, the eyes kind of glaze over any other person or, or whatever, or they're just trying to be politely interested. Careful what you want to do with that. You know, maybe, maybe it's fine, but, but um, it's really just being, being sensitive to, again, what you need, how you, how you need to be received, and, um, and what they need. And there's timing as well. So, you know, they might be in the middle of a busy thing with all this other stuff going on. They've been at home dealing with that. And, and when's the time that they're open and ready to hear if, if they're interested? Um, and maybe, well, I'll come back to that. You know, all, all, but all pra- we do need to share, I think. Uh, we need to share our practice. We need to hear from others who are practicing. Um, that's kind of fundamental to all practices, uh, the importance of sangha, the importance of receiving, uh, listening, communicating, having, having a back and forth. It's so, so nourishing. Um, I think, Andrea, did you put, yeah. So in terms of this retreat and, and these kind of practices and maybe other related practices, Emptiness and samadhi and imaginal stuff. Andrea's put a list. So if those are the kind of things you're interested in, you want to keep have some contact with people. Partly there'll probably be some people in London and other places you can actually meet in person if that's what you want, or have email contact and set up other, other ways of contact. But the, the importance of sangha is so so crucial um, in in nourishing and sustaining and kind of sustaining the fire under practice. I think it's easy to underestimate that. It's really easy to underestimate how important, how important that is. Uh, we need to talk, we need to share, we need to hear from others, we need to bounce ideas, we need to be supported. Um, we need also, I think, to listen and to read. So easily practice um, just kind of uh, sometimes doesn't expand or grow or deepen in the ways that it could because we're actually not inputting much that's new or that's uh, opening things or challenging things or, or building new, new ideas and things on which practice can, can then open to, to, to new vistas, new explorations. So we do need to, to be fed. To, if it's Dharma talks, listening, there's Dharma seed and all that, or books, re- reading, etc. But somehow, somehow we need to keep alive the, the flame of our desire. And we talked about this yesterday in the Q&A. Somehow, that needs to be kept alive. You know, all the different ways that that can happen. It's so easy for that to um, to be diminished. And part of that is also keeping what we've emphasized so much this, this week: keeping alive the spirit of experimentation, of play, of creativity. That's really, really so so important to keep um, to be kept alive. Uh, and with that, this, this question, what's working? So when, when I say like to have to have intelligence in the practice, really means to ask what's what's working, what's opening, where is this leading? How does it work? Um, these these kind of creative, interested questions make make ensure that the practice is intelligent and is actually unfolding in a fruitful way. That's part of the creativity. And that's part of the desire. Uh, Just in, in terms of going back to the sharing thing and and the, the sangha, 
I think especially in the kind of practice that we've been exploring this week, um, you know, even some Dharma people will will not be interested or, or not be respectful or even disparaging. Um, so really to be sensitive to that of, of where where you can be supported in, in this in this kind of work if this is what you're interested in, if this is part of what you're interested in. Uh, In terms of nourishing, I wanted to say one thing, kind of tacked on to a few a few questions that have come up recently, and and maybe some stuff in the Q and A. Um, so regarding nourishing the practice, regarding that attitude of experimentation around imaginal practice and cosmopoetic practice, and and it's back to this real unreal thing, and and what's called in in Dharma the middle way, the middle way between it is and it isn't, it exists, it doesn't exist, it's real, it's not real. Um, that's hard, G- generally speaking. That, that middle way is hard. It's a very deep insight. It's, it's very rare for someone to actually be able to be there and, 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 and relate to life from that place and, and that be the sort of place where they dwell and they view things from. Um, until the insight into emptiness gets really quite deep, there's going to be some reification of something. There's just a tendency to, to reify. Um, which I w- want to say now is is really okay. It's not, it's not a problem. It's just that's just how it is. Um, as said yesterday in the Q and A, you know, Catherine and I, just by virtue of sitting up here and and history, and we, we are placed in an, a position of authority. And so we might emphasize this thing of um, realism is a problem. Drop the realism. Uh, don't don't grasp things as true, etc. And and I'm just cautious of the weight of that authority, that that giving of authority, if that makes sense. And in addition to that, a person might feel, you know, and several people have said this, and it's very common now in our society to think this: all the damage and all the danger <coughs> that has come from religious realism, and people. Uh, clinging to this as truth and fighting with someone else who says no, that's not true. This is true, and and identification with that. So we're we're hyper aware in our culture of the dangers of sort of fundamental um, religious thinking and, and realism. And so that may be also a kind of hesitation around um, entering into more belief in in some kind of reality of the imaginal realm or of the divine or something. So there's different different forces at play here. It's more recent, of course, in human history uh, and, and rarer to see the dangers of secularism, which is actually just a belief in the reality of something else as opposed to a belief in the reality of the divine. It's just, it's the same realism, misplaced somewhat, oh, well, not misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Freudian slip. Um, it's, it's the same realism placed somewhere else. Um, <laughs> um, as the only reality. And, and there's, there's just as much... Uh, well, that there's still... You can have aggressive secularism as well. And you can be on the receiving end of that. And that's why also I caution about where am I sharing this? Because even some Dharma people are going to really look down on you and uh, disparage, etc. So 
this, but in the bigger cultural human history picture, realism both ways has caused damage. Don't forget that. It's only, it's only more recent. It's hard to see what's more recent. The damage of the flat view of physicalism, of secularism, of secular humanism, etc. It's not so obvious to us. For millennia, millennia, humans have believed in the reality of divinities, given them a reality and believed and functioned that way and had a lot of, despite all the problems in history and all the, you know, terrors, um, a lot of beauty, a lot of opening, a lot of sacredness, a lot of meaningfulness. Um, so I'd like to say now, go, you know, go back to what's helpful. If you know, this middle way is hard. It's, it's, not, it's not simple. Um, it's, it's hard one, in, in a way, um, that depth of insight. But if it's helpful for you and where you are to lean towards granting a reality to the imaginal realm, believing in the reality of this or that divinity, etc., in some kind of way, if that feels helpful, then lean that way. Just, you know, um, there's a journey here. There's a journey of evolution of understanding I partly, uh, we partly wanted to lay out something with kind of quite a sophisticated philosophical framework because I think that's what we need now in our contemporary society also because of um, the kind of um, assumptions of secularism, etc. It needs, it needs a response that's quite robust, that's not easily dismissed, that actually is, is philosophically quite... Um, deep and, 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 and sound, I feel. Um, and, and that also is contemporary. We can't go back in time, really. We need something beyond modernism, um, incorporating scientific insight, incorporating modern philosophy and, and all of that. So that's the reason um, I, I tend to emphasize, we tend to emphasize that quite a lot. But, but really this thing about trust Go back to this thing, check the soul-making, check the soulfulness. If, if I'm believing something, is the soul alive with that? Is it bringing something alive? Is it helpful? Is it freeing? Is there beauty that's coming from that? Um, the, these, are the, these are the things to check in with, as opposed to um, allegiance to a position of authority, which might be, in this case, Catherine or, or me, or both of us. Well, Rob says this, so that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, Check, check the heart, check the soul, check what's working. And, and uh, you know, there really is a journey with, with this stuff. So please, please to, to trust that. Yeah. Um, just two more brief things. In, in, um, in relation to imaginal practice and cosmopoetic practice, I think this came up in Q&As, I don't think necessarily that long retreats are really what we... What, What's neat. I mean, they're great and they're, they're wonderful, but there's there's a lot of potential in these kind of practices for um, short periods of practice, practice off retreat, practice when there isn't that much samadhi can be really really fruitful. We're interested in this flexibility, this agility of of the ways of looking, um, and and these quick sort of agile shifts of the perception of the mode of being. With with practice and in time, they they can get something you can enter into and out of quite quickly. And this um, imbues the, the days and actually changes the, the, what's possible in our sense of existence. It's not, uh, I should go on retreat for three years or whatever necessarily.
And last thing, which has in a way come up indirectly. Um, so what we've been doing this week, actually we've been doing a few practices this week, haven't we? Because we talked about the energy body, we talked about samadhi, we talked about the sort of emotional sensitivity and, and um, the skillful work with one's emotions, whether they're difficult or um, lovely or neutral. And we've talked about imaginal practice and we've extended that to cosmopoiesis. There's a lot of things there. And we mentioned emptiness. So just to kind of put the imaginal and the cosmopoetic practices in, in the context of a wider, a wider sort of buffet, if you like, of, of what's, what's available and what's really, really um, mutually enhancing, mutually enriching, mutually deepening. So there'll be periods in your life when you're maybe more into imaginal practice or periods where you're really exploring mindfulness or periods where you're really going deeper into the whole samadhi thing or metta or whatever. And, and just as on this retreat we say, what's the intention right now for practice? Sometimes out of retreat you can have an intention or a thread of practice that's really going for a few weeks or a few months. That's what I'm interested in and that's really where I'm devoting myself to. Um, and sometimes that's really fruitful to just kind of go with something for a while, but know that it's part of a bigger tapestry, a bigger jigsaw of how things might fit together and be mutually nourished. Um, the path is, the path goes very deep. So much more is possible than 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 I think most people tend to think. Uh, it goes back to keeping that flame of desire alive, keeping the intelligence alive, asking what's working, what's helpful, is this going where I want, and keeping that spirit of play alive. And when those things are there, an enormous amount is possible. But So the path is deep, but it's also very wide. All these, all these beautiful practices and aspects and how they feed each other, and, and it's there for you. It's, it's totally there. It just, it just takes this, this spirit of play, of questioning, staying true to what my soul longs for. It's all actually available. It really is available. So, thank you for your practice this week. It's been Really, really lovely, really beautiful. So thank you very much.